Bunga Bunga, and welcome to our second book club. In the first one, we discussed Nancy Fraser's book on neoliberalism and what comes after. In this one, we're discussing a very pertinent book called Antipolitics by Eliani Glazer. If you're an influence peddling or full-blown kleptocracy patron, that's people paying $10 and up, you're hearing this early. The hoi poi are going to be hearing this much later on. Uh, And you've also had an opportunity to send in your questions for us to discuss, so thanks very much for that. So as to the book, Antipolitics on the Demonization of Ideology, Authority, and the State came out on Repeater Books in 2018. And it's really quite prescient in certain ways and it touches on a huge number of themes that we regularly discuss which is why we've selected this book to talk about in our reading club it obviously is an important topic it kind of situated at the intersection of the end of history and the end of the end of history and it attempts to grapple with some key ideas that the especially the contemporary left has an ambivalent relationship towards in some ways you can see the book as a bit of a critique of the left's adoption of anti-politics. It treats three principal kind of umbrella terms, ideology, authority, the state, uh, and, and maybe politics itself. So let's get started. First of all, what would you say the structure of the argument is, especially for those who haven't read the book, to get a little bit of a sense, if you're following along uh, in this reading club, to, to have a little bit of a sense of what the order of the argument is? Yeah, so it's quite a, it's a relatively short book. Um, I read this on on to a, a return flight to uh, to Singapore. Um, that's that's actually quite a long flight, so it could have been quite a long book. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that basically <clears throat> the idea is it. Were you of, flying? Were you flying business class? I I I, I wasn't. No, uh, we don't have enough pa- patrons to, uh, <laughs> to, to to justify that. Um, no economy class, so I, I, it's lucky that I didn't get Bitcoin thrombosis, or I don't know about it yet. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, the, the the first three chapters are sort of what, what's the current moment. Um, this idea of a populist predicament, which mirrors some of the language that Chantal Mouffe uses, that populist moment, and then looks at these specific concepts in, in turn: see the state, democracy, ideology, and then a bit of an analysis of of where we are now. So I think. As you said, a lot of things that we talk about a lot on the politics, uh, on, on the podcast, um, an investigation of what politics and anti-politics um, might be. So probably quite a lot of of um, material for us to, to discuss. Uh, Phil, why, why do you think this is a good book to discuss? I mean, do you want to highlight some some themes that you think uh, Glazer uh, identifies as, as relevant? Yeah. Um, I mean, the main one being the uh, demonization of authority and the state. Um, it's in the subtitle of the, you know, it's a subtitle of the um, of the book itself. And so it's directed to that. And I think it is 
Perhaps the single most difficult um, political problem of our era is how to articulate um, political authority, how to articulate political authority that's legitimate, engaging, um, compelling, um, all of those. I think that is the problem that bedevils all politics in the developed world and the wider world at large. So, I mean, the fact that she's zeroed in on that as the central theme of the book is, um, to me at least, it seems kind of both remarkably bold and um, insightful that to be able to identify it as the core problem of our era. Yeah, and it seems to kind of, it tangles with a central problem in critiquing anti-politics, something that I found in my own writing on this, for example, as well, is that, you know, if you see anti-politics as a problem, do you want to just defend politics as is? Well, no, you don't. You want to maintain a critical stance with regard to the establishment or to those who vest themselves with authority, while at the same time not necessarily going down the anti-political line of of uh, rejecting all authority. So it's a difficult road uh, road to, to, to travel down, I guess. Uh, it's precisely because you have these, these kind of twin problems on either side, one of a defense of existing politics as is, of institutions, of forms of representation, which might be, uh, you know, severely lacking, while at the same time um, not wanting to to enter into a kind of rejectionist, rejectionistic mode uh, where you do, you declare it all to be a bunk, you know. Mm. So, no, I, I think that's that's the kind of, an, it's an interesting starting point. I mean, calling the book anti-politics, it's at least possibly implicitly saying there was a there was a period of 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 politics before um where we are now 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 we're in a an anti-political age we're in a in in some of the ways that that she kind of uh, catalogues and it it definitely made me think um are we are we operating like anybody who who uses the term anti-politics are you kind of operating with this um maybe nostalgic frame where politics used to be better the, the, the kind of the good old days of of um, these kind of 30 glorious years after the end of the Second World War, where you had good old fashioned class class conflict and, and class co- and class compromise and and things things got better. And that's what real politics um, was. Then you kind of have the, the neoliberal uh, distortion of politics, which eventually ends up with um, Tina or with there is no alternative with a kind of capitalist realist situation. So I think it's it's an interesting starting point because it does make you um think um what is it that we're actually looking to defend when we're when we're trying to say there's there are political solutions to to collective problems yeah i think there is a problem though with the book right and we should get on to this uh which is i i'm not sure i get a clear understanding of what anti-politics is I mean, she doesn't start off with a definition, which is fine because that has its own problems. Uh, but it isn't really a particular, like a historical examination either of what anti-politics is or how um, politics led to anti-politics or anything like that. So, I, I mean, it, it, it is kind of difficult to try to get a grasp of this. Also, because there isn't a definition of what politics is. Politics for her ends up being any number of three things. One, a space of contestation, which I think she refers to that, so it's a space. Is it contestation itself, or is it state institutions, which is politics? And because she flits between those, 
what is anti-politics therefore isn't clear either because it is it is it opposition to state institutions is it opposition to democracy is it opposition to contestation that is to say the politics of consensus or is it opposition to the space of contestation that is the retreat from the public realm into the private realm it could be any number of those things and it's not entirely clear which one she's actually talking about i mean to be fair i suppose it's a very hard thing to do in the in the um <coughs> excuse me in such a short book um, it's, I suppose the argument or the claim about what anti-politics is becomes a bit clearer when she talks about every, all the ways in which, um, and I mean, it's not her idea. It comes from various um, political sociologists, UK academics, such as Colin Hay, where she points out how politicians have over the last 30 years um, themselves delegitimized, well, they've delegitimized themselves and the political sphere. Mm by um, setting up various um, independent regulatory agencies, by uh, making anti-corruption campaigns, which is also a theme we've discussed at length on the podcast in other episodes. Um, so making anti-corruption a central plank of their ideological platforms. So ways in which um, politicians have effectively delegitimized themselves and in so doing have um, reduced the amount of power and authority that they themselves have to improve the problems and to, well, to make the social changes that they're elected to make. So, mm. I mean, I think that's where the argument perhaps is clearest. Um, but you're right. It is a very difficult thing to pin down. And also, it's a very difficult thing to articulate without getting into, um, you know, problematic historical parallels where you end up kind of elevating the past at the expense of the present. Um, so it's a difficult thing to draw out. And I suppose the book, um, you know, is testimony to that in some ways. I think, yeah, I think that the lack of a, a kind of historical account means that the there are a few kind of links that are, that are not as clear as they potentially could be. I mean, for, for my money, the, the, the sort of starting point is that anti-politics is basically populism in, in her account. Populism is suddenly everywhere and anti-politicians have taken charge. And that's exactly what you were saying, Alex, that it's well, that's, and yet, and that's yet not the, because that's and, a, well, I mean, yeah. she says it's populism, but then she also I, mainly focuses on the left wing adoption of anti-politics and there and there like ad- talks about things which aren't necessarily populism. So it's ambiguous, I think, still mm-hmm. there. But I think that, yeah, I mean, if you're talking about who's who is it who is um, within the political sphere, and this is the, an important restriction, but within within politics, who is most anti-political, as it were, or anti-establishment, it, it is populist. It's, it's the, you know, the, the pure people against the corrupt elites. But I think there are certain points at which in other chapters or not in that kind of initial kind of part where she's setting up her analysis of the current moment, where she alights on some extremely important um, aspects of how a lot of the contemporary frame of of this division between politics and anti-politics that we have is um has its origins in in the third way this idea of you could have finally a politic as she puts it a politics without an enemy which i think is a, a really good line um and that this is this was all about depoliticizing key decisions and that it's not so much an an anti-politics but a depoliticization so it's it's not saying that it's um, the politics is bad, but that it's just not necessary. It's just that we don't we can take let's let's take the politics out of this decision. Um, and that is a, obviously a classic third way move as as um, evidenced by by the new Labour and also as as satirised, I think, occasionally quite successfully by the thick of it. 
Um, and I think it, it would be interesting to see how these ideas have their echoes and have their, um, I guess, their, their returns today. Um, but that's that would be a, a slightly different book than the one that, that we're talking about. So let's, I think, highlight the points that we thought were most positive or insightful in the book, because I think we can't make any secret of the fact that we found several aspects of the book quite problematic. So, uh, you know, let's start, let's start with the good stuff. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to start off with this and, and say that I think what is important about the book is that it identifies anti-politics as an important tendency today and places it as a reaction to post-politics. And so just to be clear about the terms, because there's a lot of politics and various prefixes being thrown around. Uh, and I think it's, important to be uh, like terminologically clear in a way that actually this book often isn't, um, which is, you know, anti-politics is, is this rejection of representation, rejection of uh, power, uh, rejection of the possibility of dem democracy and so on. And post-politics is precisely what George was just referring to there, which is that uh, often Blairite idea, you know, in Britain at least, of the politics of consensus, of a politics which becomes increasingly insulated and separate from the demos uh, and becomes about technical administration, uh, not subject to, to popular pressures. That form of post-politics, as uh, Glazer argues, uh, bred a reaction which uh, of, of anti-politics, of rejection of all that crap. We don't want to have to, we don't want to engage in politics anymore because it's just a bunch of bastards in suits off away in the capital, uh, scheming and doing their own things with no interest in uh, improving society. So I think in that sense, it's quite good in, in identifying that. And it also touches on various, um, various like important key touchstones of what might constitute uh, anti-politics, especially what constitute anti-politics on the left. So she talks, for example, about how about culture wars and identity politics and about how identity politics masks inequality or masks discussions mm. of, of class. That's quite an important way, an important uh, manifestation of anti-politics. Uh, localism, the fo you know, and especially the kind of left uh, focus on local initiatives, um, the lack of, uh, or, or sort of the, the rejection of politics at the national scale in the, in the interest of uh, small local initiatives or small scale uh, things, you know, and, um, and, which is, and in a related uh, sort of way, the focus on networks and which which has its kind of I guess would best be called tech utopianism you know something that we discussed a lot mm. on in in uh, the the Kelly Bunga series um, which is another way of, of kind of avoiding politics of, of thinking that through network technologies we can avoid the traditional forms of representation of elections and so on um, and then if, and the final one which I thought was quite interesting because it's a point which isn't often discussed enough and I think it's a very important phenomenon which is the sort of a cultural anti-elitism or cultural democratization, which tries to uh, reduce all arts and whatever to a question of participation and inclusion, and therefore um, kind of ends up uh, obliterating any questions of, of excellence or art for its own self, uh, which is a kind of connected to anti-politics, but, but much more tangentially. But I think it's still an important thing that she raises. So I think it's quite nice mm. that she raises all these critiques of... I guess contemporary left culture and politics, which uh, which are constitutive of anti politics. Yeah, no, I th I think there's you know <clears throat> it's always uh, it kind of, in some ways easy to critique what is a, a fairly short book and say oh didn't do this didn't do that. Also fairly essayistic in in, in some senses, saying it, it wasn't rigorous in this analysis or 
all that analysis but I, you know i really enjoyed reading the book and i got a, a lot out of it i made a you know a ton of notes and i think there were four things which really stood out I'll, I'll go through them really quickly but the this idea that political philosophy itself might be a part of anti-politics so as she puts it political philosophy has itself been depoliticized that's absolutely true some of the standard particularly liberal modes of political philosophy they are um not contributing to any kind of um political movement they're not there's there are a way to think about politics which is completely um devoid of any political content um so second point i think this idea that post the post-political is a is one of the most political claims it's quite a um maybe quite an obvious point in some ways but she really draws out the ways in which the idea of going beyond politics to bring the idea of ideology back in um is always <laughs> extremely ideological um third point that this idea of representation that i mean one of the problems or one of the to touch on phil's earlier point one of the difficulties of talking about authority is that if you have any mechanism of representation which um justifies or, or, or goes alongside an idea of authority or kind of legitimate power of some sort then it's the i guess the the an ideological notion of representation has been replaced almost entirely by a cultural one and that makes the link to power very difficult to establish. And finally, which I just thought was a really good point, is um, as a you know another a, a potential aspiring member of the the, the, the PMC, um, this idea of, of focus grouping that it's simultaneously managerial and populist. It's absolutely true. The reliance on on focus groups is a way to try to bring in um, user voice or lived experience leadership or um, or kind of uh, representation through the back door which is which is quite problematic because of course it doesn't it's a way to try to get some authenticity without actually having to to do any representation so i think all of these as a as kind of starting points of or re or being able to recognize that these things are key uh, qualities of the politics that we're that we're kind of experiencing or were in 2017 at least i think that's a i think that was really interesting part of the book for me uh phil i think uh, yeah yeah well i was going to say i mean there's one thing i think which is um overwhelmingly to her credit um and that is the fact that she's so clear about populism being a form of anti-politics mm -hmm. um i think the the sequencing in terms of um, that we live in an anti-political era, which is a consequence of a post-political era, I think that's right. But also the fact that she's um, completely stringent about the idea that refuses to allow populism to be characterised as politics. Um, so the fact that it polarises between a people and uh, an elite, which is castigated as alien and distant and remote, um, and thereby gives the impression or the idea that the people are one homogenous mass with no internal conflicts amongst themselves that need to be politically mediated, that need to be represented, articulated, struggled through and fought through and so on. Um, and in that sense, populism is completely anti-political. And she's right. Occasionally in the argument, you know, she occasionally pulls back in deference to left populism, but generally she holds to that line. And I think it's a really important one because and it cuts, I suppose, to the heart of what we're trying to think about on our podcast here on um, Afabunga Bunga. 
which is how far we're um, in a how far we're still in a an era which is not political or how far we're seeing a reassertion of politics mm. and her answer would be at least that it's um it's an anti-political era that populism is um a parody or a, a show of contestation among mm. themes that seem political but in fact that it's anti-political and i think she's right i think um populism i don't know i mean whether about she's right about the entirety of the year, I suspect she probably is, but it's probably a bit too early to tell. But certainly on populism, I think she's right that it's essentially anti-political and it should not be seen as a revival of political contestation about the direction of our societies. Mm. I mean, it's good that you got the name of the podcast in there as well in, in what you were saying. Um, <laughs> just in case people are listening to this and like, oh, yeah. Uh, didn't didn't know what it was called um but no i think i think that's a that's a, a really important starting point that and that that populism is um it's, it is an anti-political response to a lack of politics or to a felt lack of um or loss of popular sovereignty um and if that's I only mean, if, if that's your starting point i think that's is really important to to recognize that that is that is an, an, an important insight and one that i think um has been proved correct again and again in, in the past you know few months well, so, after I mean, the book came out yeah and i think related to that it, you know it's placing the question of politics itself centrally is quite important today precisely because the fact that we live in in anti-political times and and the practice of politics is, is put into question but you know and i think that there's a, a thing where there's a contradiction there or, or something which i think her because her, her, her understanding of history is perhaps a little bit problematic. So, I mean, she makes a point that, you know, political philosophy has not uh, treated the question of politics itself enough, which is correct. Uh, but then she argues that political philosophy has become depoliticized. Now, uh, this is a point which, which Jacques Rancière makes, which I think is correct. It's that political philosophy in some ways has always been anti-political because it tries to, I, it tries to spell out what would be the perfect form of politics, which itself is uh, a way of, of, of being anti-politics, of ending politics. The idea here being that all, um, all forms of politics, all ideal forms of politics, have as its ultimate end the end of politics. So, you know, liberals will ultimately uh, will want, you know, a, a final harmony in which all interests are, are properly equilibrated and where there's no more conflict. Marxists want to have a revolution and have communism, which is in some ways would be post politics. Um, conservatives are also, you know, the ideal conservative constitution would be one in which everything is uh, is is sub, um, is is, um, you know, takes place under the, 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 the full authority of the church or whatever authority they, they choose, and then it's a cohesive society. So, you know, I think that it's important to, to historicize how um, societies become depoliticized over the past 40 years, but it's also important to, to recognize that all forms of politics in some ways aim at the end of, the end of politics. Mm. So I'm not sure all of them do, and I think, I mean, I, mean, I don't know if we want to get down that, but, you know, down this kind of... Um, by road but i mean i think um there is a um there is a strain of political thought that is explicitly attacks um, other traditions and especially the Mar you know especially marxists for aiming at a post-political era um and that is um so i mean i think you know there is also a um there is a problematic strain of the people who want to who imagine that politics should be 
a permanent part of human experience forever, you know, as long as humans exist, essentially. Um, and that, you know, I mean, that seems to me um, problematic as well in a different way. Yeah. And I, I, again, it's important to be clear about what politics is. And I think, or, you know, to have, to have an understanding at least put forward that uh, of what, of what you see politics as being. And I think, you know, Glazer fails to do that in the book. Um, and I don't think it being a short book is an excuse. I think it's, a, it, it's quite a, it's quite an initial point that, uh, which as I mentioned at the beginning, it's unclear whether she sees politics as the space of contestation or as the existence of the state and administration. And, you know, then it, it becomes a question of, are you ending up defending effectively the establishment and uh, the existence of politics itself? I mean, I've already mentioned Rancière, but I think, you know, he at least makes a distinction between what he calls the police or the police order and politics. And politics mm. proper for him is effectively democracy, it's dissension, it's contestation itself, which is politics. And everything else that, that, that carries on under the name of politics is actually the police order. It's the administration of things and people uh, on a day-to-day basis, which is very, most often not political, actually. Mm-hmm. And I think if you start from that understanding, then yes, you want to absolutely defend politics um, against anti-politics, which would which would then be the the, the, the circumscribing of politics or, or <clears throat> the prevention of politics mm-hmm. from breaking out at any time, of making sure that society... Uh, is consistently administered uh, where nothing, no new constituencies emerge, no claims are made, no dissension or contestation ever happens. Um, so, yeah, uh, clearly somebody's been reading their, their Verso Radical Thinkers um, series, <laughs> the, the Ronciere. Um, but the, I think this that's not really what she's trying to achieve in, in this book. It's not a, it's not a, a theoretical treatise on, on, on what the, the political is and this this um uh, phrase the political i think was perhaps not surprisingly was was discussed a lot um by a variety of of left political theorists when there was no practical politics i think it is a bit more concrete than that and it is a looking it or is an examination of how um the left specifically should respond to these key problematics that we're we're currently presented with particularly that one about about authority, perhaps. How do you, how do you try to um, institute a um, a political authority, or, or I mean, a, a party? Maybe, maybe not. But some some um, way to sort of say this this is a uh, political project which has some um, which would have some legitimate power over people. Right. So I think we should move on to discussing specific themes rather than uh, her approach to anti-politics as a whole. Uh, And of course, we're going to bring up specific examples. And if we can kind of make reference to the examples that she uses or, you know, to bring up some counterexamples of politics or anti-politics as we go along. So I think maybe first of all, to take this theme of authority, which is probably the most tantalizing uh, aspect of, of the book, you know, before reading, you're like, mm, okay, so the demonization of authority, let's, let's have a look at this. And it's interesting, because she makes, she makes these little points here and there, and you're like, ah, very good. Uh, and then doesn't really follow it up. So for example, she says at one point, why is nobody commenting on the mismatch between the supposed death of deference and the advent of authoritarianism? Very interesting. Very interesting that in a, in a post-deferential society, you actually have a return of uh, much more authoritarian uh, forms of, of government and rule. 
But yet, then she doesn't really answer it. So, I mean, I'm, I'm just throwing this to you guys. Um, do you think she, she answers this, this question of why uh, authority has been demonized in today's times? No, I mean, I think she, um, I think it's the, one of the main problems, in fact, with the book, I think, is the fact that she's unable to, um, she's unable to fully articulate the demonization of authority because it's essentially a left-wing thing. Um, that the left, the anti-authoritarianism of the 1960s left um, and everything that has come since, the dissolution of authority has essentially been a project of the left. But in so doing, um, the only thing, you know, in dissolving, helping to kind of dissolve away um, traditional forms of authority, I suppose, inherited forms of authority as part of the anti-authoritarian revolt, um, all that's left is the market. And the market recognizes no authority. The market simply, or at least only the authority of money. Um, and so you have the kind of the endless, um, the endless relativism of and the, just the flux of um, whatever goes in the market, whatever's up, mm. whatever's down. Um, so that's yeah. the main problem, I think. It's mm. that the, she's unwilling to criticize the left as being the source of um, the demonization of authority more than the right, because the left failed to substitute their own authority for um, the authorities they were trying to replace. The result has been um, neoliberalism, effectively, the rule of the market. And as a result, then um, you have all these post-political, anti-political forms that come since. Well, I think there's, I, I yeah, I think that's, that is right. Um, and it's perhaps linked to a deeper problem. And with the book but this is probably holding this short book up to to too high a bar which is that it doesn't give a material explanation for the rise of anti-politics i mean it doesn't it doesn't say okay what are the changes in society what are the changes in 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 politics which mean that this um anti-authoritarian or this this kind of anti-political populism is appealing or is able to step into this into this void and she does mention peter mayer's work um but i think it's not um not in the the way that he's he really explicates that there there was the defeat of of, of the organized left there's the collapse of representative institutions there's this kind of decline of all of these um political sociological um um kind of institutions much more widely in society like the, the church for example um and so therefore there's a there's a, a massive decline of political participation so there is a there is a a void there is a disconnect between politicians and the people and that is a, a material cause of this kind of contradiction between um authoritarianism and and a lack of authority and i think maybe that is too um that's an unrealistic kind of uh i was going to say an unrealistic kind of marxist um uh, bar to, to set to actually explain the changes in in very recent um intellectual history um but i think that's that's kind of what we should try and move towards is okay what what is it what are the changes in in politics and in in society that enable these this this kind of shift to this this contradictory situation that she's analyzing yeah, and I think that right there gets to the heart of what I would see as as, as kind of most problematic in her, um, in 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 the book really, which is is her history or her periodization, because and and there's a and she I think she 
gets confused as to uh, you know of how to what to attribute certain phenomena, right? And basically, put it this way: between sociological and political explanations. So, to give an example, right? She she go she asks: Is the end of ideology, or you know, postmodernism, for example, is it a sort of zeitgeist, or is it a right wing plot? She asks, and this is a direct quote: Are all grand narratives defunct, or is it just the left? So, and and so there she's torn between seeing uh, the the phenomena of post-politics, for example, or the end of ideology, as something which the right has done. It's it's a bit of a, a, you know, the scheming of the neoliberal right uh, to to kind of put a stop to political contestation, or whether this is something that's in the ether. It's a kind of big sociological transformation that's happened behind people's back without a clear agent. And she even asks, you know, is it this or is it that? And then she resolves, well, it's confused. I don't think it's confused. It's It's actually quite simple um it's complex but it's also quite simple which is that the, his- <laughs> the historical how does that work well that's no, yeah, I mean, called it's, it's called dialectics phil exactly, it's simple but yeah. it's complex no, i mean as, as in, the as in, there is an answer to this it's just there are many parts to it but it, there is an answer right it's not some complex thing we can just kind of wave your hand at and go well it's confused isn't it no in fact what happened is that the, the historical defeat of the left is the cause precisely of the end of ideology, and that I think there's a there's a, a, a kind of fundamental philosophical mistake or, or something that she overlooks here, which is that what institutes politics is the left. The existence of the left institutes politics, and it's the historical defeat of the left of of an alternative to to capitalism, which brings into being this this state of of post politics. Um, and 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 so I agree. I mean, and so I, she's and so she's end up being torn between. I want to blame the right for doing this stuff, which is really unfair, and going well. It's actually postmodernism, and it's this kind of strange cultural transformation that's happened that we can't quite explain. And it's and she doesn't. She's able to mediate the two and, and synthesize them together because they actually are intimately connected. But I think the reason. I mean, so I mean, you're right. And one of the major problems of the book is that it presents such a caricature of the right as sinister. Um, ultra-rational, um, insidious, adaptive, consistently um, outmaneuvering these kind of well-meaning, flummoxed leftists. Um, and so, I mean, you know, it's a ridiculous portrayal of um, right-wing politics that has, in fact, been much more ad hoc and makeshift in its um, responses to events. But I think the problem is it's not, I mean, it's not just the defeat of the left, but the failures of the left. And she's unwilling to, um, she's unwilling to put that front and center. And just to challenge you on all of this, because I, I or rather to be clear about this, because I, I, I half agree. But at the same time, she also is very critical of the left all the time. She, she's critical of left spontaneity, left horizontalism, anti-authoritarianism on the left, anti-power, anti-ideology, tech utopianism, all this stuff. Right. So she is very critical of a lot of tendencies on the left. But at the same time, yeah, but is she it, doesn't so, see it as a she doesn't see it as the outcome of, like you say, a historic defeat. Um, she sees them as kind of bad choices um, yeah. and um, bad, bad policies that can be, um, you know, as if we um, are simply kind of uh, working experimentally, working through different options rather than them being um, much more deeply embedded outlooks that are the product of um, whole kind of uh, historical evolutions. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a weakness, um, but I think it also speaks to her milieu partly as well. Um she's, you know, I mean, she's pays um tremendous amount of time on all sorts of reports by various obscure think tanks and um various kind of groups in 
in British politics, which, you know, the only people who pay attention to that are those people themselves. Um, all sorts of obscure websites and um, I mean, kind it's like of a mini le- think left tanks. Liberal intelligentsia, right? Yeah, she, she doesn't yeah, exactly. enough to, to podcasts, I don't think. Well, that's <laughs> that's absolutely that's absolutely for sure. Um, but she's, you know, she's trying. It seems like she's trying to batter her batter her way in to a particular um, milieu of um, left liberals, who kind of, you know, the courtiers of the New Statesman and the Guardian, um, and is using, you know, coming on the back of G. Jack and Peter Meyer and Colin Hay and Mark Fisher and these kinds of thinkers, and that's what she brings to the, these debates, which are incredibly. Um, circumscribed and narrow um, but she's talking into a particular milieu and i think the limitations of that outlook and that um base are very evident in the way in which she formulates problems and thinks about them and she doesn't think in a wider historic um in a wider historic frame yeah i i i, I, I partly agree i think the it is i think maybe it's a sign of 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 how thought-provoking the book is in a way that you're sort of saying well okay you know didn't do xyz didn't provide a political sociology didn't provide a kind of material basis for the for the changes in in ideology ideology or political theory but i think there are some some points at which this this does become quite a limitation that there is there is a um so if you're talking about the lack of confidence on the part of politicians and they keep on asking for reassurance from and verification from the public, that is that can be seen in isolation as an anti-political act. But it's it. And of course it is. But there is a reason for that. There is a there is a, a void. There is a detachment of, of, of representatives from from the public. And that that is it is important to investigate how that occurs and and what that enables and ultimately the crisis of legitimation that 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 it leads to and i think if you don't have that political sociology it ends up being um potentially not the full explanation it doesn't lead you to to some of the really hard questions which are not you know what are the choice and this is what i think i think essentially what you're saying phil not what are the choices that the left's made but really where are we today? What what is the weakness of the objective situation that we find ourselves in, and what and um, ultimately what should we do next as a consequence? All right, um, I, I think that's that's good, and we, we should actually maybe move on to the what should we do next. I just maybe want to discuss one last theme, which is kind of how she sees the state and what she sees as anti politics is demonization of the state. Uh, because again, it's not a straightforward thing. Uh, and as I referenced earlier on, you know, you don't want to be like, yay, the state, <laughs> just be pro state. But at the same time, um, you have to be relatively critical of, um, of, of, uh, of that kind of, kind of default anti-state, anti-power, uh, sensibility on, on the left and to a certain extent on the right as well. So, so you uh, want a kind of Goldilocks state. Not, not too much not not too little right yeah yeah kind just 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 nice state providing nice, porridge nice, yeah exactly exactly state provided porridge um no but so uh, what do we think what do we think the state i mean i want to quote something actually because she she says something she um makes some reference to the fact that you know the state no longer disin- disinterestedly mediates between rich and poor but rather now has been captured by the rich which uh <clears throat> i guess i mean can you imagine i mean it's so 
you know, incredibly naive kind of, but you know, one example of many, of many kind of naive statements like that, where I think there is the um, just the kind of nostalgia for an era, but not being clear about what she's actually nostalgic for. That's right. I think there's I mean, a definite sort of golden ageism throughout this. And she basically, and I think it's also clear in the way that she talks about the left. So she'll refer to the soft and radical left. And I don't know if she's trying to say that they're the same thing or that they're very different things. I assume she's saying they're very different things. So she's talking about center left think tanks, the kind of left edge of Blairism on the one hand, and the radical left, which she mainly means kind of more anarchistic leanings and, and kind of autonomous leanings. And then she talks about social Democrats. So presumably she's identifying herself with kind of traditional social democracy, um, but uh, well, at the same time referencing far more kind of radical theorists. And, and so and I, I think there she kind of, in any case, it, it's a little bit confused, but I think she's very much kind of identifying, or rather sees her book as a critique, both of the post-political center-left and of the anti-political radical autonomists uh, in favor of kind of traditional social democracy. I mean, that would be my reading. And the, and the, anti, the anti-political populists as well, who mainly looking right. at the populist, right? Yeah. I think, I mean, part of the problem is she also has her own strain of anti-populism. Um, and that, I think, is most evident with her views of popular sovereignty. So though she's, um, you know, she tags, the, you know, in the subtitle of the book is about the demonization of the state. Um, and then she do- goes in a kind of populist um, sideswipe about um, global markets and um, being the um, global markets being the main kind of um, threat to state autonomy, um, as opposed to um, you know the kind of political, international, financial institutions and so on, um, that they're not part of the problem. So kind of ignoring the actual what are actually existing political institutions do, um, international organisations, the European Union, the IMF, the WTO, all of these things. She ignores them um, and just kind of makes a rant about um, evil markets doing their work as if those aren't, as if those market forces aren't mediated and transmitted and institutionalized in all sorts of various legal and political structures at the international level. So, you know, there's a strain of anti-politics to her as well, to her argument, which means that she isn't clear-sighted about the ways in which um, the state and um the state and authority is undermined from the left. I mean, I think that's the main that's the main issue, in fact, with the book is, I think, at least for me, is the fact that she doesn't see the fact that it's the left that is mostly culpable for the demonization of the state and the demonization of authority in problematic mm. ways. No, I think that's that's a that's a, it's a very, very good point, because the, the, the book is <clears throat> um, aligning itself with the political left. But the analysis of, of the the weaknesses or the you know it's not a at the moment that the at least the british left is not not a unified uh group and there are certain aspects or certain uh, tendencies which um which do have a really um significant anti-political strain and anti-democratic impulse and it's not it's not um it does a bit of a disservice to the rest of the analysis to to, to skate over this because yeah i mean really this this is the 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 real question facing us today is how do we how do we kind of make that defense of of um you know class-based politics and a a real defense of 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 politics as the only route for working class self-government that's what we're all kind of moving towards and i think it it unless you look at the the 
elements within the left that, that are actually fighting actively against that it, it's not a complete story and i think nh ends up opting for um a sort of leftism i would say uh and in, in and this is visible in her constant references to the right and the left without with with often very little uh differentiation between different strands of the right different strands on the left uh and wants to simply defend the left against the right so she talks about you know the, there's no space of representation now for left-wing people as if left-wing people is a is a pre-existing defined segment of the population rather than you know p- people need to be won over by left-wing ideas um and i think in in general you know she yeah as phil has said you know she tries to blame corporations or the right or the market not and not uh it's not very interested in looking at how political institutions are implicated in this it's it's that kind of leftism which blames capitalism but sees capitalism purely as market institutions uh, and not a social system and i think that's kind of a a pretty important philosophical weakness in, mm. in her book and her approach um she, there's some weird and, and i think it's it, most seen in, in one bit where she says you know if the left don't like to use the word left which is by the way kind of a weird thing apparently the left doesn't like to use the word left i, I wasn't aware of that but maybe anyway you can leave that one aside but she says if the left don't like to use the word left it is because they are victims of this process this process being depoliticization or post-ideology so it's again it's, it's a little bit like there's an element of a kind of a whinge that the left, uh, the left have been defeated. The right have done all these unfair things, like pretending to be on the side of the people or on the side of the masses or the working class when they're actually not. This is really unfair, and the left have been victims in in this whole thing. Um, and and that's the the part of it which I found really the weakest because it it, it yeah it, it opts for victimology instead of an actual analysis of of the way that the left has been. Uh, you know, constitutive of of the of our contemporary society, the way that the left has played a part in in um, you know leading to certain sort of anti authoritarian stances, which reject uh, state power absolutely or reject the taking of power, as, as as Phil has already described. Unless anyone else has any other points, I think we want to move on to, to a question that we received from uh, from Gabriel Goffman, um, which I think gets to the a very important point about what 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 we should do, and really about you know how how anti anti politics we want to be. If that's not too awkward a way of putting it, so Gabriel writes in asking uh, when looking at both leaders of Democrats in the U.S. Uh, and the state, even under Democratic control, they are often quite neoliberal. So it seems hard to want to work with or respect the authority of these institutions, meaning presumably the Democratic Party, uh, Congress, uh, even the American state. Despite that idea, it would be good to have strong left leaders and left support of the state. How do you think about or resolve this tension? So I think that's a really important question that really gets to the heart of uh, the dilemma of anti-politics, that you don't want a rejection of institutions wholesale, while at the same time you don't want to defend these particular institutions which are um, oppressive, anti-democratic, and so on. So how do we go about resolving this tension? Yeah, I'm still not sure that I understand this question. Is it is, is it driving towards the desirability of, of kind of a social democratic uh, embrace of, of the state and, and redistribution and welfare? Uh, po- possibly. I mean, that would be one answer. I think what, what uh, Gabriel's trying to get at there is that on the one hand, yeah, you don't want to uh, have any truck with any of these institutions, right? You don't want to deal with the Democrats. Or you don't want to deal with Congress because it's all corrupt or whatever. 
But at the same time, you don't want to say you don't want to necessarily reject them. You want the left to take power. You want the left to take. You don't want to be anti-political. You don't want to be anti-political. Exactly. So how do you how do you negotiate that? Uh, you know, do you reject? For example, there's one thread of thought which you know you shouldn't participate in elections because uh, you know you're part, you're lending legitimacy to the bourgeois state. That would be in some ways an anti-political um, point of view, an anti-political proposition. Mm. Um, but and, and it's one that I wouldn't hold. On the other hand, you don't want to say maybe you don't want to say um, yes. We should engage in all elections, and we should you know if given a choice between uh, Hillary or let's say Elizabeth Warren, uh, Elizabeth Warren and Trump, that uh, you know you should definitely participate and go out and campaign for Warren. Maybe you don't. You know. So how do you how do you negotiate that? How do you avoid? Um, endorsing existing institutions while at the same time not dropping into this kind of rejectionistic I'm not participating in any institutions you know how, what, what, there's no there's no I mean there's no easy answer I guess but I mean it it's mediated by the the two those the poles of that um, dilemma are mediated by the uh, ultimate aim of the left which is to not to uh, is to reconstitute authority at least in the um, you know at least before a um complete uh, before a complete transformation of society but to so our, our aim is to collect to collectively transform the character of authority to make it more um uh more democratic to make authority more collective to make authority more um real in the sense of um allowing people to collectively govern themselves and I mean, whatever that might mean concretely in a particular um, state or in a particular country is another question entirely. But I mean, I think that's the way that the dilemma is resolved, mm. at least conceptually. I, think, I guess. I mean, I think that, you know, we, we could be faced with some with this as a real practical question. Like, how do you, for example, if there were to be a second referendum in, in the UK, like, where do you stand on that? Is Is this a... Is a boycott always anti-political? What is the stance that you take towards political institutions that you don't feel any have any real authority? You don't feel have any real legitimacy. You don't feel have any um, real correspondence with the, the the view that you would you would hold yourself. Um, yeah, and so I mean, if if that's if that's what it's driving at, that's a really that's a really pertinent question, definitely. I, th- I think one has to have an, an attitude where you know those institute those state institutions are there to be. Uh, or at least, you know, the democratic state has, uh, you know, kind of parliamentary democracy is the only form thus far which really uh, enshrines some degree of, of, you know, popular, the possibility of popular power to a certain degree. It'll always be shared, of course. Um, that's the nature of a, of a parliamentary regime in that it, it looks like an oligarchy to the oligarchs and it looks like a democracy to the people. What you have today is actually a situation where it doesn't even look like a democracy anymore to the people, and people prefer simply not to participate in it at all, which is which is problematic because I think the the political institutions are there to be taken over to the great extent possible, um, while not being um, not being blind to, to 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 all the compromises and the fact that the the, the state is still the capitalist state and will uh, you know you're not going to be able to vote in socialism. But I think, you know, it, it, George is right to talk about, you know, the concrete dilemmas. You can think of another one, for example, the Gilets Jaunes in France, that which might be petering out, but I think it's still worth taking as an example. That's a real social movement in a time when there really hasn't been very many genuine social movements. Should it form a party? I think so. Should it participate in elections? 
debatable, probably. But then the, the worry is, does it then become institutionalized? I think maybe it shouldn't participate in European elections, but should participate in national elections. These are the sorts of, of, of questions be, that, that I think the, the notion of post-politics makes us, or excuse me, the notion of anti-politics makes us address that to what degree do you participate in institutions? And for me, the greatest problem today is just the sheer cynicism about the possibility of change, the possibility of progress, um, you know, effectively Tina. And so even if we were to be slightly naive in our belief in, in the possibility that elections might genuinely change something, I still think that's better to be to participate in those and then be disappointed than to uh, reject out of hand the participation uh, in, in elections or institutions wholesale. I think it's um, it is it is a, a a live question. It really is. I mean, we we now have people uh, seeming to be much more engaged than they previously were in politics, and the current vehicles and modes of representation and participation are, um, you know, are felt to be not not sufficient. Um, and so, you, I mean, the question is, where do you go with that? Do you try and change the modes of, of representation? Do you try and change the meaning of elections? Do you try and try and change the the, uh, the representative um, organisations? Or do you go for a sort of radical anti-politics like Extinction Rebellion? I mean, that is a way of essentially kind of opting out of this of this dilemma and saying, well, you know, I, I want to achieve some political ends, but I don't. I don't want to have to go through the route of, of the political systems currently available. And that, I mean, and that, that is obviously something which, which postdates the, um, this book, but it's, I think it's something which, which falls into the anti-political, anti-political, um, a, a schema, if you want to develop one, because it, it clearly does say, well, contemporary political, uh, models, they don't work. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a very live question for anybody who's who's would put themselves on the left currently. All right, very good. I think we uh, might end it there. We're kind of running out of time and we don't want these uh, book clubs to run on too long. If you have any suggestions as to what you'd like us to discuss next time around, please do give us a shout. Uh, thank you very much, all uh, patrons, for, for supporting us. Please do engage and send in any questions or, or responses that you might have to this. And we will see you next time. Catch you later. Bye-bye.